you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message.
parking lot, and my cousin said, Danny, don't let me forget to unload that gun because uh, I forgot it's in the trunk and it's loaded. So we pulled into the parking lot and started to go out and get into the building, and, and uh, I turned, I said, man, did you unload the gun? He said, I'm glad you reminded me. He said, I'll meet you up in the room. And I went up to the room, and I opened my door. The phone was ringing, and I picked it up, and it was for me. So I, I, I started the conversation, and my cousin came laid the gun on the on the desk and uh, another uh, student who's actually uh, a, a distant cousin of mine he came into the room about that time and as I'm talking on the phone I heard him say oh man that's cool and I never gave it enough thought and, and I'm on the phone and all of a sudden I hear the cocking of a hammer and I feel something against my head as he put the gun to my head and he pulled the trigger my life could have been snuffed out in just a moment. Had I not forgotten, I believe that God reminded me, but if I had not forgotten, I'd have stepped into that, into eternity at that moment. But I look back on, on that moment and many others in my life, and I think, oh, my life happened. Oh, my life. Oh, my life happened. every breath, with every breath that I am living, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Come on, lift your voice one more time and sing it. All my life, all my life, you have been Oh, come on, that's it. attention to John chapter 9 and then we'll go to Genesis chapter 8 and read one verse. John chapter 9 beginning at verse number 1. <coughs> oh. Hey, I got sick in the Philippines and the cough won't go away. My bad. John chapter 9 verse number 1. And Jesus passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was from his birth. Watch this. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus saw a man with a need. The disciples were more concerned with knowing who had sinned. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. He said that he was born this way for this purpose. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse number 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Genesis chapter 8, verse number 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not. I don't want to be redundant tonight, as I've already told you, just a simple message that I want to bring to you, but for the next few moments, I want to preach on this subject, the night is coming, the night is coming, the night is coming, and I don't, I'm not coming to preach gloom and doom to us tonight. But I hope to encourage somebody. I hope to give, shed light onto someone's situation. It's been dark in your life. You've gone through a season of darkness. But I want to tell you today that the night is here and it will come. If you're not in the night, it will come. But if you are in the night, I want you to know that the sun is about coming. You may be seated. John chapter 8, Jesus shocked them to the core of their religious souls. The reaction, however, only mirrored the anger in which he responded to their question. When he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Had you had been there, or I had been there, I'm sure that we would have seen the question in their eyes when they responded with yet another question of unbelief, when they asked, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? But Jesus at that moment responded, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that before Abraham was, I am. There was no mistake that this carpenter from Galilee was saying to the religious folks of that day, they knew all too well the, the, the designation that God took upon himself when Moses asked, whom shall I say sent me? And he said, you tell them, I am who I am has sent thee. And when this one from Nazareth, of all places, stood there and said, not only did Abraham see my day, but before he was ever a twinkle in the eye of his mom and dad, I want you to know that I am 
And the Bible said that they took up stones and would have stoned him, but he hid himself and he caused himself to be unseeable and unnoticeable as he passed through their midst. And then immediately in chapter 9, it begins with, and Jesus passed by. Even in the midst of such a vital moment in his ministry, when he was proclaiming himself to be God and robed in flesh, at a time when they would have slain him, but he made himself invisible and he passed through their midst, it was then, at that very moment, as he passed by, the Bible says, saw a man, a man that had never seen the light of day. He had never seen the sun as it began to peer over the horizon in the eastern sky. The disciples too saw the man, but their reaction was to ask, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he See, all that they were interested in was knowing who had sinned and relegated this man to his What is the reason? They wanted to go into a deep discussion or a debate uh, that even to this day there doesn't seem to be an answer to the question. Why? That sometimes the innocent suffer. Would you please give us some insight, Lord, as anybody in this building ever asked, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the innocent suffer? But Jesus answered and he said to them, nobody sins. There is only one reason why he is sitting here right now in this condition. And it is so that the works of God would be made manifest in and when his voice takes, and then his voice took on a new urgency when he says, I must work. He said, I have no option. I have no say in the matter. I have no choice, but I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. What I want you to understand is while his disciples were interested in a debate or a discussion, it was evident in the urgency of the reply of Jesus that there may be a time for discussion and there may be a time for debate. But now the sun is shining and it's time for me to work the works of him that sent me. Why the urgency? Because the day will not last forever. The night will surely come, and we've got to seize the opportunities of our moment. It's now or it's never, but I must work the works of him that sent me. Now, today, everybody say today, this time because the night, the night is coming. I've come tonight to preach and to tell you that this is our day. I wish I had the strength in my voice to preach it like I feel it, 
But I've come to tell you that this is our day. Never has there been a generation poised at the door of a worldwide revival that this generation is poised at. No generation has had to literally change the world like you and I have the chance in the palm of our hand. If there was a time that a generation has met its day, it's now and it is us. And we cannot afford to make the fatal mistake of thinking that our opportunity will last forever. Just as sure as the sun has risen, it shall also set. Now is the time. Today is the day. And now is our hour. The apostolic church is on the rise. Not only here in North America but across the globe. Although we are able to gather in freedom and we are able to gather in the comforts of a beautiful building, there are those who are gathering uh, even right now in secret and in fear of being imprisoned or even worse. They cannot lift their voice and sing praises to God. There is no music that can be played to help create an atmosphere that is conducive to the moving of the Spirit of God. Yet, they make their way in secrecy to worship, to hear the preached Word of God. They host undercover Bible studies. We think it's not happening, but they host undercover Bible studies. They are witnessing incognito to those that are around them. They don't have what you and I have, and they certainly can't do what you and I can do. But they are doing what they can because they understand that the nighttime is coming. There is a revival happening all across North America. While some churches, pastor, are closing their doors, apostolic churches are being established in new cities and in new towns. The United Pentecostal Church is where I'm going to take my focus right now. There are many other oneness organizations, but I'm just talking about the United Pentecostal Church has 4,961 works, churches, daughter works, and preaching points across North America. The United Pentecostal Church International has 43,199 churches and 5,605,933 constituents world or works worldwide. And those numbers are changing daily. You see, the world that we are living in is hungry. People are looking for answers. They are crying out for help. And the question is simply, will we answer the call? The sun is shining across the world right now. But our time is short because the night is coming. And we need a spirit that matches our time. As most of you know, I was privileged to 
few weeks ago to travel back to the Republic of the Philippines to help preach a crusade that was hosted by Pastor Bobby Carter of Mercy Church in Kokomo, Indiana, along with Pastor Tony and Sister Jenny, who are pastors of Mercy Church in Malitlit, Santa Rosa City, Philippines. Malitlit is a barangay, or it is a, a village that is located just two and a half hours south of Manila, Philippines. Malitlit has a population of 27,000 people who live in less than desirable conditions. While in, in Malitlit, Pastor Tony, Sister Shauna, if you'll put that picture up, Pastor Tony loaded us up in a van. No, the, the church, I'm sorry. Pastor Tony loaded us up in the van, and he took us to a Catholic church that was in a, 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 a area of, of Manila that you do not want to go to. And we went on a Saturday, and on Saturday they have an all-day mass. It is one service after another after another that begins early in the morning and it ends late at night. And there are thousands of people who wait in the courtyard. Now you can't you can't go you, when you go you have to you have to keep your your valuables in your front pocket because the kids will pickpocket you. But they gather thousands of people outside of that church. They call it the Church of the Black Christ. And the reason that they do that, I can tell you the story later. But it's all connected to the people don't think that they have enough suffering in their life. And so they gather and they wait for hours in 90 plus degree temperatures just hoping to get inside. And when they get inside, many of them will get on their knees at the door and they will walk on their knees all the way to the front of that building across sharp tile, leaving a blood trail as they go just so that they can make themselves suffer. They think that their suffering will just happen maybe and hopefully to get the attention of God and that they will be with them. And I watched as we stood. They allowed us, I, they, they couldn't believe it, they allowed us into the building at the start of one of their services. We could only stay for a few moments, but here come the Americans. We look like giants in that country, but we walked through the people, and I looked as people were there just waiting for the start of the service, and they were weeping. And they were crying. They were crippled. They had all manner of issues just hoping that they could come into that place and that their suffering would make them acceptable to God and that God would somehow touch them. And as I walked through that congregation, I couldn't help but weep and I began to pray. And if it wasn't for what might happen to me, I would have stopped and I would have said, let me introduce you to the one that can change your life. He's not asking you to suffer, but he's asking you to be made whole. I begin to pray, God, let a revelation, let a revelation shake them.
to that place. Thousands and thousands of people gathering just to suffer with Jesus. Pastor Tony, he got picked up from McDonald's. Pastor Tony, Pastor Tony, he is a great, great man of God. He and his family moved hundreds of miles. You've got to understand the Philippines is made up of over 7,000 islands. They moved from an island that was hundreds and hundreds of miles away to where they knew nobody just a, a little uh, less than two years ago because he had a burden for Malitlet. He had a burden to start a church and to preach the gospel. He began that church a little over a little under two years ago with just he and his family. And I'm proud to say that when we were there on that Sunday morning, they had over 130 people in the building that God has touched their souls, that God is using a man and his family because they know. They know what time it is. In our two-day crusade, I wish I could tell you that it was more, but I'm happy and I'm, I'm pleased and I'm, I'm tickled that in our two-day crusade on Monday and Tuesday, we baptized 17 individuals and four over 40 received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And among those baptized, Sister Shauna, was Captain Freddie. Captain Freddie and his wife, you see that little deal I'm doing there? They make a heart that says, I love you, Litlet. And Pastor, or, uh, Captain Freddie and his wife, Captain Freddie is the captain of that barangay, or he is the mayor of that barangay. He has ultimate authority in that village. What he says goes. And when Brother Pastor Tony came to start a church, he had to develop a relationship with Captain Freddie. He had to had to get in good with Captain Freddie because it was ultimately his decision or whether or not that church could ever be started. It is his decision of whether or not they can do anything in that village. And I I'm glad to report that Captain Freddie has, well, uh, Pastor Tony has gained uh, uh, respect with, with Captain Freddie. Not only has Captain Freddie allowed the church to be built, but he has also kept every other denomination and every other church from building a building and starting a church in Malinlet because he said, we already have a church. And in that barangay of over 27,000 people, the only witness is an apostolic, one God, done talking church. I thank God for it. I thank God for it. Sister Shauna goes. So I was able, that's me in Captain Freddie's office. We had 
Many of you don't know, but in kids' prayer in our kids' class, Sister, Sister Jamie Towns and Sister Jackie Newcomer, they went on their own and they, they got like 10 Bibles and allowed the kids to pray over them and, and write messages that I could take and just give away to people at the crusade. But they also got one for Captain Freddie. I didn't know if he was going to allow me to gift it to him, but I was able to go to his office and give him a Bible that the kids from Christian Life Church in Frankfort, Indiana prayed over. Go to the next picture, Shauna. And it was that night that Captain Freddie was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, hallelujah. And I'm believing that in just a short time that God is going to fill he and his family with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, hallelujah. His, his wife and his daughter have already been baptized, and I believe that God has placed him in that position for such a time as this. And I believe that in this last day, that God is going to position some in places of power, in places of influence for such a time as this. crusade, we were able to preach Jesus and how he can save and deliver. Everyone who came, you got to understand, they make something like $3 a day. They work hard manual labor for, for something that most of us wouldn't even get out of bed for. And everyone, and it's, and it's poverty, and I have Many pictures, and I'll, I'll show them to anybody who wants to see them. As we went in, in that barangay from house to house, and we would knock on their door, and they would invite us into their home, just all in hopes that we would somehow bless them. When they shake your hand, they will take your hand, and they will put it on their, on their forehead because it's a sign, a blessing. They just want the blessing. God on their life. But everyone who came, and I won't have a picture of it, but everyone who came to that, that crusade received bags of rice that would feed their family for over a month. And also, due to the generosity of some amazing members of Christian Life Church, we were able to buy two scooters, one of which, Sister Shauna, the one of me, went to Pastor Tony so that he could reach places in his community that he can't get to by van. He gets on that scooter and he rides up so-called roads to go up into the mountain and to witness to people that have never heard the Savior. able to give not only that scooter, which will allow him to do the work of the Lord. Sister Shauna, would you go to the next picture? We also bought one, and we gave it away to somebody in attendance to that 
uh, at that crusade. And what you got to understand is that right there is life-changing. And because of the generosity of this church and the members of this church, we were able to be a change agent in somebody's life. We were able to give that scooter away free of charge to that man. I, I left. I wasn't able to go when they actually gave it away. I, I got really sick in the Philippines. I actually had to miss the second night of the crusade. I was supposed to wrap it up and preach, and I wasn't even able to go. But I got a text. I got a message on Facebook uh, late last night, which would have been Sunday. Sister Shauna, would you go to that? And that, that man that just thought he was coming to win a scooter, he had his life changed, and he was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. I think we ought to thank God. He thought he was coming for rice and to win a scooter, but God changed his life. Oh, God. Oh, God. Currently, there are over 4,000 churches in the Republic of the Philippines. And when I talk about churches, I talk about United Pentecostal churches and thousands more preaching points across the country. And there are 1.4 million United Pentecostal Church constituents alone in a country of over 109 million people. And the church, the United Pentecostal Church of the Philippines, their goal for 2024 is to add 300,000 more constituents to the church. And I didn't just come here to preach about the Philippines. I'm not just saying it's happening in the Philippines. And I'm not just saying it's happening in Asia. But it's also happening in North America. But it's happening all across the world. Listen to me. I can't preach like I want to preach tonight. Revival is not coming. But revival is here. I'm going to say it again, Brother Duggar. Revival is not in our future, but revival is in our present. The harvest is not in our future, but the harvest is right now. We cannot afford to miss this opportunity. We can't wait for the next generation to pick up. Time is now. Look at your neighbor and say, it's now. The greatest hour of the church is right now. If we will just get with the program, we will see what we are looking at is the greatest revival that the apostolic church has ever seen. I believe the revival that God has in store is going to completely outdo the revival at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. But if it's ever going to happen, we 
must see our day as Jesus saw it. He saw a man that his disciples saw a problem. He saw an occasion for the world. But they saw an occasion for debate when they asked, who sent the word? Lord, would you explain this to me, please? I've wondered about this for a long time, God. And the master said, it's not time for explanation, but it's time for action. And I'm telling Christian Life Church tonight, it's not time for us to get into discussion of why they are lost and what they are lost in and what they are bound by. But it's time for the church of the living God to roll up their sleeves and go into action and go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every, every There may be a time for debate and discussion. But when you get up in the morning and the sun's already hot, and the fields are already waving white and ready to harvest, it's time to leave the debate for another day and wade into the fields because it's time for action. You can't afford, hear me tonight, you cannot afford to get bogged down with the whys and the what fors and miss the opportunity that the, the greatest opportunity that the church has ever known. But I refuse to get sidetracked. I refuse to have my attention diverted from what God has called me to do. And I'm going to focus my eyes on the field because they are ready. God has brought us to the kingdom for this hour. And we cannot afford to miss the chance that God has given us. And if we're not careful, we'll get out of sync with the speed of time get out of sync with day and night as we allow our personal interests and our own selfish desires to dictate the season of our life. Trying to figure out all the whys while all around us are waves and waves of rain that are ready to be harvested while we think it's still time to God tonight that somehow we would find ourselves in sync with the seasons. It's always, it, it's always going to be like this. There will be seed time. There will be time to plant. There will be time to harvest. There will be summer. There will be winter. There will be heat. There will be cold. There will be day and there will be night. We've got to get in tune with the rhythm of the kingdom of God. And we must work while it is day. For thy cometh with no man. Nobody is going to be able to work. There will be time for discussion another day. We've got to go and do what God has commissioned us. We 
are called to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Listen to me. You may never stand behind a pulpit. You may never travel 9,000 miles across the world to, uh, to, to tell somebody about Jesus and tell somebody what God can do for them. And that is okay. But you can affect the world in which you live. You can affect the world in which God has placed you. You can affect the people that you work with every day. You can affect your own family. You don't have to stand behind a pulpit. You don't have to go to a foreign country. But what you do have to do is preach the gospel to every creature where you're at, where God has placed you. The problem is not, and it never has been, the harvest. The problem is, and has always been, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. We have been called to be laborers in the kingdom of God. The problem that I see with the North American church is that we are content to sit back and fold our arms and say, well, I'll let somebody else do it. I'll let pastor do it. I'll let the staff of the church do it. But that has never been God's plan. Yes, he is the called man of God for this church, in this city, in this hour. But just as he's been called, you and I have been called to preach the gospel. I'm not talking behind a pulpit, but I'm talking about our everyday lives. Bible said, let your light so shine that men would see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. It's not about a pulpit. Hear me. It's not about a pulpit, but it is about laborers. It is about working. Esther lived in a palace where the decree was issued that could destroy her people, yet she did not even know it. A Jew in sackcloth who wasn't even allowed inside the gate had to send her word of what was in her world, the crisis of the hour and the opportunity of the day. She was embarrassed of Mordecai's burden. She sent word to him, please don't dress like that. She was so embarrassed that she even sent clothes to him so that he could cover up the sackcloth so that he would not embarrass her or embarrass himself. Esther was embarrassed by the fire and the urgency that burned in Mordecai's soul. Not because she didn't appreciate what was happening, but because she didn't even know the danger that, was, that, was, that she was facing in that day. 
And the word came that she must act. The problem was that Esther was too close to her sister. She was too near the crown. She was too overwhelmed with the materialism and the prosperity of her era that she did not even know that not everybody was as fortunate as she was. She forgot the fact that only one girl out of all the kingdom got to become queen. She kind of thought it was her right, but she forgot her responsibility. Mordecai told her, he said, you have to go. You've got to get a hold of the king, Esther. You've got to go into the throne room and petition the king. So out of tune was Esther with what was going on. But she wanted to debate the issue. She wanted to describe. She wanted to justify. And she wanted to explain all the reasons that she couldn't do it. Everybody knows, she said, that everybody knows well that if anybody knew Why bother the king? Everybody knows, Mordecai, that there is a law that whoever enters the throne room of the king and has not been invited and had not been called upon could and would be put to death if he did not pick up his golden scepter and accept them. What Esther was really saying was that she was comfortable and she was okay while she was. She had found her way into the palace and she now had a crown on her head. She was satisfied to sit there and debate the matters of that law and forget that this was her opportunity that this was the purpose for her even being in the palace to start with. But you know what her response was. She said, that's not my palace. It wasn't, or I wasn't called to the throne room. I wasn't beckoned. But I'll just take care of my little spot. Kind of sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? I'll just take care of my family. I'll just take care of my little area. I was called here and the and the rest of the world, well, that's not my purpose and that's not my responsibility. I don't really care what happens across town, let alone what happens on the other side of the world. But I'm doing my work. I'm doing what I was called to do. I wasn't called to that town. I wasn't called to those side that side of the tracks. I wasn't called to that state. And I surely wasn't called overseas. Let someone else worry about it. It doesn't concern Don't you ever forget 
that you were good before you were good. And there is a responsibility that has come upon you. And you don't lay aside when you took, that you didn't lay aside when you took the crown of your queenship. You're a Jew first, then you're a queen. Paul said, said it like this. He said, I'm a Christian first, and then I am an apostle. I want to preach to everybody in this building right now. You may not have been called to pulpit ministry. You may not have been called to teach a Sunday school class. You may not feel that you have been called to to join the Bible study team and teach one-on-one Bible studies. And that is okay if that's what you feel. But listen to me. Just because you haven't been called to a pulpit doesn't mean that you haven't been called. Just because you haven't been called to teach a Sunday school class does not mean that God has not placed a calling on your life. But God has commissioned you and God has commissioned me to go into all the world. It may not be overseas. It may just be across town. It may be at work. But God has called me. And God has called you such a time as this. So I preach to each one that are here tonight so that a message would not record itself back to you. Go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. We must not forget that the day that we are in. We must not forget You must not get so content with where we are that we neglect our greatest opportunity. I don't believe that God is concerned with our contentment, but rather I believe that God cares about the lost because the Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And if the lost is going to ever be saved, we've got to must realize that the day is only a short time, and the night always comes. Just as sure as the sun sets every day, or rises every day, it also sets every day. But when the sun sets, be assured that it will rise Again, And we must prepare ourselves to move in sync with the rising and the setting of the sun. Though the world is a field that is ripe to harvest and the sun is at its highest and its brightest right now. For some individuals, the sun has long ago set and the night has seemed to last forever. I'm aware that we all know and understand there are times in which everything we touch seems to turn to gold. But there are other times when it seems to turn to dust and the chill of the night sets in. There is a time when everything is going good and the sun's shining and we foolishly think that it's always 
going to be this way. But then the night falls, and suddenly we abandon all hope, and we want to give up. But the truth of the matter is that if the night time, that if it is night time right now, it will be day sooner or later. And if it's day right now, busy yourself and gather because the night is going to come. And if we are going to survive, and if we are going to make it, if we're going to make a difference in this world, then we have to learn how to thrive and to flourish. Sometimes the sun shines, while other times it's midnight where we are. But we cannot give up hope. We must understand that weeping may endure for a night, but joy was surely to come in the morning. While the sun is shining, there's work to be done. Don't quit. Don't sit on the sideline and say, I'll let somebody else do it. But pick up a shovel. Get your hands dirty and say, I'm going to work while it is day. For the night comes and no man Night comes and it comes. But man must stand for God's opposition. We work in the day. We work while it's daytime. But one thing I can promise you that if you will work when it's day, That is simply the way the kingdom of God works. That's the way he set it up to work. I do my part, and he does his. Day will come again. Get your rest in the night, though, knowing that God is at work. Work. Plant, water, watch the sunset, step back in and say, God, I planted my rose this morning, I got the the seeds the right depth of ground, I did what I could, now God, do what only you can do. I promise you, in the darkest hour of your life, is when the brightest light of God's great love will shine. You work your fingers to the bone while it's day, and then when it comes night, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't, Don't throw in the towel. Don't walk away, but you just stand back and say, I'm gonna let God work. I can't do much right now because it's dark in my world, but I'm gonna let God was the night when the disciples were sitting in the upper room by Jesus in the cloud. The the clouds blocked the light of the moon. It was rough. It was special. They were 
experienced sailors, yet they could do nothing about the situation that they were in. They were toiling. They were rowing. It was the fourth watch. Some say that was the darkest time of the night. And it was when, it was then they lifted up their eyes. night didn't bother him. He wasn't afraid of the waves, white capping in the moonlight. The night didn't put him off, but it was then that he came to his Lord. We cannot afford to focus so much on the master that we forget about what the disciples were doing at that moment things that quickly I want to bring to your focus. First of all, in the night, they kept rowing. They didn't, Brother Afonso, they didn't stop, but they they rowed in unison. They kept rowing when they felt like, like just giving in and giving up and letting whatever happened, happen. But no, they knew enough that they kept rowing. They had a sailor's understanding that to stop moving was to abandon control of their ship to the mercy of the wind and the waves. Had they allowed themselves to get sight, if you if you are a mariner at all, if you if you if you boat at all, you have got to understand that when you are on a rough lake. You don't allow your boat to get sideways to the waves because bad things can happen. But you point the bow, if not straight into the wave, at catty corner to the wave so that the bow of your boat can cut through. But if you allow yourself to go sideways, you're at the mercy of the waves. And they understood that if they allowed themselves to get sideways, they would have perished. Though they knew that they weren't making much progress, they had sense enough to know that if I can just keep moving. I want to tell somebody right now, you are pushing, you are rowing, and you are in the fight of your life. And you feel you feel like for every step that you take, that, that the enemy knocks you three steps back. And you don't feel like you're making much progress. You don't feel like you're moving much at all. But can I can can I tell you, can I urge you that even though it doesn't feel like you're gaining much ground, you just keep moving. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You just keep getting out of bed every day and say, God, I can't do this on my own, but I'm going to keep moving and allow you to work. Just You don't see a lot of good happening. What do you do? You just keep rowing. You just keep rowing. You keep those oars in the water and you keep rowing. Because 
sooner or later, you're going to make it to your destination. Sooner or later, that storm is going to subside. Sooner or later, those waves are going to lay, and it's going to be calm waters again. And if you just keep rowing, then when those waves lay down, then suddenly you're making more progress than you ever thought you could make. But you got to keep rowing. you got to keep rowing. you got to keep moving. Your job at night is to keep the boat from sinking. At the Red Sea, the children of Israel, they wanted to go back. Moses wanted to stand still, but God said, keep moving. It's not your job to worry about the Red Sea. It's, it's, but it's your job to keep moving forward. Job said that he knoweth the way that I take, so I'm going to keep going, even when it looks impossible, even when it looks like I'm, I'm going to be overtaken. I'm going to keep moving. I press toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Stand with me. Secondly, And they said that Jesus would meet us on the other side. And all I know to do is just to stay my course. Listen, there are a lot of pressures in this world to sell out. There's a lot of pressure in this world to give up and to give in. There's a lot of pressure to compromise ourselves. But hear me when I say that the course that he gave us a long time ago is still the right course. I don't care how bad the storm gets. I don't care how big the waves get. I'm going to stay my course. One version of the scripture says that Jesus would have passed them as if he would have passed them by. He wasn't worried. He said, meet me on the other side, guys. It was a meeting that was going to take place no matter what happened in the meantime. If they had not cried out in fear, I suppose that Jesus might just have passed them by as as though everything was going okay. Because he was just going to keep his appointment on the other side. I don't care how bad it may seem. But I'm here to tell you that the sun is going to come up. The storm clouds are going to break away and the wind is going to die down. You're going to make it if you'll just stay the course. You're going to make it if you just keep rowing. You're going to make it if you just keep moving. You're going to make it if you just keep walking. We've got to work why it's day because the night Tonight, I've done my best to preach my heart to you. I preach through a weak voice and everything. I've done all that I can do. It's up to you tonight. Would you just take a moment and would you just consecrate yourself and say, God, I'm going to work while it's day. I'm not going to leave it to somebody else. I'm not going to let someone else take up the torch. But God, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to work my fingers to the bone while it's day because there is a world that is lost.
Come on, God. I'm not going to leave it up to somebody else. I'm not going to shirk my responsibility. But God, you called me to go into all the world. You called me to be a minister of the gospel. And God, that's what I'm going to Open your mouth and let this song be your prayer. I will be what you call me to be. I'll say yes. Lord, I agree by desire. to be what you